Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Outbursts of wrath are horrible for marriages, but so is repressed anger, not dealing with it. If somebody needs to talk something out, if your spouse, then, then talk it out. Listen to what they have to say. Be sure that you give them that opportunity. It's okay to say, I don't want to talk about this right now because feelings may be too fresh and you feel like I'm going to have an outburst of wrath. But don't put it off forever. Don't put it off for a, even a day. Take time to settle down and then talk to someone and listen to what they have to say. What is the difference between righteous anger and anger that is sinful? We all want to be peaceful and live in peaceful environments, but when we're put in stressful situations and around certain people, staying peaceful can be difficult for us. Today, we're looking at anger and how Jesus handled it as we listen to part two of our study out of John chapter two, verses 13 through 22 with Robert Furrow. Stay with us. In Mark, we're told that Jesus said two things to them. My father's house is to be a house of prayer to all the Gentiles, or literally, to all the nations. And, and then he had said to them, but you have made it a den of thieves. And one thing that we forget is how familiar the religious leaders were with the Old Testament. These guys memorized the Old Testament. I'm quite sure that Jesus had memorized it. Uh, in our day, we live in a time when we can search anything. Earlier this week, I wanted to see whether or not any of those references were in the Old Testament. So it took me about 15 minutes to find out that both of them came from the Old Testament. In the old, if you wanted to know that before, you would have had to have been familiar with it. I would have had to have been really familiar with Jeremiah chapter 7, where it says that there was a corrupt priesthood that had made the temple a den of thieves. Jesus made a direct reference to a corrupt priesthood when he said, you have turned it into a den of thieves from Jeremiah chapter 7. And then he quoted Isaiah 56 when he said, my, uh, the, the, the father's house or the temple is to be a place for the nations. Again, that's the Hebrew word for nations. And Jesus uses the word, or at least the, the New Testament uses the word that Jesus used as ethos, as being Gentiles, a place for the nations to pray. God wanted Israel to meet the nations, but here they were taking advantage of Gentiles who wanted to love God and serve him, taking advantage of Jews that were bringing their sacrifices to God. And Jesus was upset at that. One of the things that makes God upset is when someone takes advantage of someone's sincere desire to serve and worship God. I believe that, well, when I was a teenager and in my, my early 20s, there were a lot of, of charlatans that were on the TV and the radio that were raising, they were on there just to raise money. They were doing what they were doing just to raise money. And I remember hearing Pastor Chuck say when I was first going through the Bible with him, I remember him saying, I wouldn't want to be one of these guys in the day of judgment. And I think that's really true. They had found ways to make money beyond anything that they had ever imagined. In 54 AD, a Roman, um, a, a, a Roman, soul, uh, a Roman leader marched on Jerusalem and stole the gold out of the temple. The gold would equal in today's value, as near as I can calculate it, to $3.5 billion. They had three, though, in today's money, it would have been $3.5 billion that they had in the temple. How much is enough? 
that you would have to do these kind of things. And so Jesus drives them out and he flips over these tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You are not to take advantage of people. Church today is not to be a place of merchandise. It's a place for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a place to honestly take care of those that are doing the work. Paul said in Galatians that the worker is worthy of his hire and don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the mill. Take care of those that are in ministry. And I would add even, take care of those who are in ministry generously. Allow them to be able to be generous. Be generous to those that are in ministry so that they can be generous to those that are around them as well. It needs to be a sign uh, that a pastor is generous, right? A, a pastor should be generous so that people can see his generosity. And if you don't pay him enough, then he's not able to be generous. I've seen this on many occasions where people feel like they need to take a vow of poverty for the pastor. If you want to take a vow of poverty, you take a vow of poverty but pay the, the pastor what he's worth. There are many pastors that are just barely scraping by, not because the churches can't afford to pay him more, but because they somehow think it makes them spiritual to be able to do that or makes him more spiritual to be able to do that. The more that you are allowed to bless him. Now, you can obviously go way overboard, right? It can be way overboard, and there are examples of that. But the problem really isn't on the overboard side. That happens, but much more rarely than, than not being paid enough. If you let, allow them to be generous, then they can be generous, but not merchandising, not making merchandise of the people, just being honest. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. They'd not seen anything like this from Jesus. They saw him compassionate with sinners, people that had been under the oppression of sin. Jesus had been compassionate towards them. He had already had some interaction with scribes and Pharisees in the Galilee. But now to see Jesus flipping these tables over? So the Jews answered him and said, what sign do you do since you do these things? Or what, what are you going to show us that you have the authority to be able to do these things? They saw Jesus turn them over and he turned them over with authority. He is now, as he's going to say here, the temple of the Holy Spirit. His body is the temple. By the way, our bodies are now the temple. And as Jesus cleansed this temple, went in and cleansed that temple, I wonder if Jesus ever wants to come into our life and flip over some tables. If he might not see something that he doesn't like and he wants to take care of. Jesus said to them, give us a sign that you have the authority to do this. And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. He was speaking, of course, of, of him being God and that body that he had made as being the temple. They would use this at his trial, saying that he said he would destroy the temple of Herod and rebuild it in three days. First of all, that's ridiculous. The temple of Herod was, it, it was incredi it, incredible. The size of the, the bricks that were used, the size of the structure itself, what it would take to destroy it, what it would take to rebuild it, certainly couldn't be rebuilt in three days. He obviously is talking about something different. There's a rule in, in Bible study that if it can be taken literally, then take it literally. As much as we can take things literally, we should take them literally. That keeps us from, from uh, taking too much liberty with texts, making it say something else. But if it obviously cannot be taken literally, then you've got to find out what it means. So if he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up, you've got to know that he's talking about something different, that this is an analogy. And of course, he's talking about his body being raised from the dead three days later. Then the Jews said, 
It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will rise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them and they believed scripture and the words which Jesus said. So later on, they remembered that Jesus had said this when he rose from the dead. Now, there are three different kinds of anger. I I just want to talk application a little bit now because we see Jesus getting angry. We see him going into the temple. He sees something he doesn't like. He goes off to the side. He makes this this cord, this whip out of cords. He comes back over. He chases out the oxen, the sheep, the doves. He chases out those who are selling. He grabs a hold of tables and he flips tables over. And in our minds, it can look like a riot. It can look like, wow, he just kind of, he's gotten angry and he's in and he's just tearing things and he's flipping them over. And, and, And indeed he did. There's three kinds of anger. Two of these, it was not. The other one, it was. First of all, there is an outburst of wrath. And we all have experienced that. We have all had an outburst of wrath in our lives. For you kids who are here, it's a temper tantrum. That's what an outburst of wrath is. It just looks different on an adult than it looks on a child. We've all experienced people having temper tantrums in their car that we call road rage. (laughs) Praise God, I haven't had anything like that happen in, in a while. Uh, I had kind of turned on my turn signal quickly and pulled over uh, into the lane in front of me because I knew if I turned on my turn signal, the guy was going to speed up. And he just came unglued. He comes up beside me. He's red faced. He's yelling. He's telling me, I got kids in the car and, and I want to go. Then why are you yelling at me? You know, if you have kids in the car and uh, it just is like out of control. That is an outburst of wrath. We've seen people do it. And sometimes we've done it, right? We've been the one who's had that outburst of wrath. And I hopefully, hopefully, like me, you are convicted when that happens to you. You certainly don't want to be filmed while that's happening. I think of an event that that happened, right? The lady in the park when she was being addressed about her dog being on the leash and she's being filmed and she has this. That, that is an outburst of wrath. The Bible says, put away anger, rage, and malice. Rage, of course, we know what that is. You're angry, and so you rage. Malice is when you want to hurt somebody. That's what we're supposed to put away. We are never supposed to get angry where we want to hurt someone and where we have rage. The Bible says be slow to anger. The Bible tells us that we are to, be, to, to not be provoked, to, to not be easily provoked, that that's what love is. When we're walking in love, we're not easily provoked. And sometimes the problem with our anger is that we are easily provoked. And so we just go over the top. And that should never be in the life of a Christian. If you're struggling with that, that's something you have to struggle with. It's something that you've got to get rid of. It's something that you want to fight against because it is not Christ-like and it is something that doesn't please God. And the Old Testament says it is a fool who has an outburst of wrath. And a, a wise person brings peace and calm but a fool vents his wrath. And so we don't want to be foolish. It is foolish always for us in our home, with our children, with our spouses. It is always foolish for us to vent our wrath. I've said this before, but I'm so thankful for James Dobson's book, uh, The Strong-Willed Child, that I read after my daughter was born about how to discipline properly. 
and never discipline out of anger, he said. Put a child in a room, uh, kind of time out. I don't know if it was called time out back in those days. Put a child in a room and go outside and calm down before you discipline that child. And that was so good for me to learn and read because that's not the way that my dad parented. My dad parented, me and my sister would be fighting. He'd be reading his paper. He'd be, we'd be fighting. He'd be reading his paper. He'd tell us to settle down. He'd be reading his paper. And then he would go like this. By golly, that is it. Bang. And we knew. By golly, that was it. He was a, he was a man of his word. When, when, you know, when he was pushed to that limit, that's where he went. But that was an outburst of wrath. My dad had him often. I, I learned from that. And it's something that I had to struggle with as a young man, that I would not be that person that would fly off the handle. That when I would become angry, that I wouldn't let it turn into rage and malice. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus did not have an outburst of wrath. He didn't walk in and see this happening and then, and then go out of control because Jesus is wise. He's the wise counselor. He would not have an outburst of wrath. The second kind of, of anger is repressed anger. That's when something happens and it makes you angry. Someone says something to you. Maybe a wife or a husband who's learned how to push each other's buttons. We become good at that after a few years. We know the exact thing to say. And there's some malice to it too. It might not be a, a rage, that kind of rage malice, but you say something because you know it gets to them. It, 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 and when that happens to you, you don't say anything. You just kind of repress it inside. The Bible says that that leads to a root of bitterness that defiles many. You don't want to be that person that represses rage. And if I can take the role of a marriage counselor right now, outbursts of wrath are horrible for marriages, but so is repressed anger, not dealing with it. Just um, if somebody needs to talk something out, if your spouse, then, then talk it out. Talk it out until they're done. Listen to what they have to say. Be sure that you give them that opportunity. It's okay to say, I don't want to talk about this right now because feelings may be too fresh and you feel like I'm going to have an outburst of wrath. But don't put it off forever. Don't put it off for a, even a day. Take time to settle down and then talk to someone and listen to what they have to say. It's amazing to me how someone can be upset about something. Someone's upset about something that happened. Maybe they feel, maybe a wife feels like she was treated in a, a kind of a derogatory way and she's hurt by that. And so she tells her husband and her husband says, I didn't, that's not what I was doing. I wasn't thinking that at all. I was just saying this. When you can say to your wife, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. I can see how it would make you feel that way. I'm sorry. But if you just kind of stick to your guns and sometimes that's pride, right? You stick to your guns. No, I didn't mean it that way. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give in. When instead you can say, well, I don't wanna make you feel that way. Her, her feelings are real, whether you meant it or not. You can flip it around too. A wife can say something to you. She may not want to make you feel that way, but you feel that way and it's real. And so I've learned to be very open. I've learned to be very open and say, when you say that, this is how I, this is how I take it. And my wife will say to me, I didn't mean it that way. And even though she didn't mean it that way, that's the way I felt. And so she can say, she says, she, she always will say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that at all. And we've gotten it out in the open and we've talked about it. We've been able to communicate those things. And I just want to encourage you to communicate that way. 
Don't let there be something that has sat untalked about for years. It will cause a root of bitterness and it will defile many. And there might be, there might be all, I might be opening up all kinds of cans of worms now. There might be all kinds of things that you're thinking about that you need to take care of, but you need to take care of them. And it may be hard and maybe you need to get some help. Maybe you need to set up an appointment and come in and sit down in front of a, a, a pastor who can arbitrate a little bit between you guys. When you start talking about something maybe that even happened years and years ago, there are people that are, have been married for 20 years and are upset about something that happened in the first year of marriage. And it has affected and tainted their marriage their entire life because of that repressed anger. It can happen between fathers and, and, and sons and daughters. It can happen with brothers and sisters and often does happen, by the way, with brothers and sisters where there's just some rep repressed anger that's there. It has not been dealt with. The Bible says a couple of things. Uh, number one, not to be easily provoked. Sometimes we're too easily provoked and, and we need to go when someone says, I didn't mean it that way. We need to go, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll believe you. And if they do it again, go, there you are again. Maybe you don't mean it that way, but there it is again. And not only don't only be easily provoked, but be forgiving. Be willing to, you've got to forgive. So you've got to let it go. Take that festering, just, you know, I don't, I don't know what description to give that, that, you know, bitterness inside of you. Take it out and let it go. Just let it go. Just say, I forgive you. If you are not easily provoked and you forgive, and if your spouse is not easily provoked and they forgive, then it can take those roots of bitterness that is causing all kinds of problems in your marriage and it can take it out or, or in your relationships of people around you. That wasn't the kind of anger that Jesus had. He did not have that kind of anger. He, he wasn't repressed. He didn't walk in and go, here they are again. You know, it, it wasn't that. He had the third kind of anger and that is righteous anger. The Bible says the anger of men does not accomplish the things of God. And the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. There is a time to be angry. We ought to be angry when we see someone that is oppressed. It's okay. We see it and it's, and it's horrible. We ought to be angry about that. We ought to get angry when someone is taken advantage of. We ought to get angry when we hear about how the elderly are taken advantage by, by con artists. I myself get angry often when I think about abortion and I think about babies that are take, their personhood is taken away and without any thought about the way that they feel, their life is ended and I become angry about that. What do you do with righteous anger? What do you do when you see something that is not right? What do you do when you see a whole group of people that have been, that have been treated differently? A few years ago, there was an incident of a police officer who had shot a black um, young man who was in a car, you may remember it. Um, his, his girlfriend was videoing it and he said, I'm gonna get my license and he reached into his glove box and the officer shot him. And it was all on film. And I was talking to a, a black man who was a friend and uh, he's a pretty big guy. And um, we were talking about, you know, being pulled over and how I feel, someone who's white compared to how he feels. And he said to me, there's never a time that I'm not pulled over that I don't get scared every time. And I thought, well, I get scared too, but I get scared because I'm going to get a ticket. <laughs> I'm not worried. And, and that, that back then it helped me to see something that there's a long history that goes all the way back to slavery, that goes to freed men, that goes to Jim Crow laws, that goes to the way people were treated in the 60s 
when they had to give up their seats on buses or they couldn't go to the same water, uh, drinking fountain to, to communities that have been oppressed and do not have the same opportunities. I realize that this has become a political issue, but I'm telling you, I, I don't want to be political. I never want to be political. This is something very real in our nation, and we should have a righteous anger towards those things that are happening. But it doesn't mean it can lead to an outburst of wrath. So what do we do? Well, we do what Jesus did. He went and dealt with the subject. This was not, he did not randomly go into the temple and start destroying something in the temple because he saw them selling uh, and merchandising God's people. He had the authority because he is God in the flesh to put a stop to it and he went and put a stop to it. When you have righteous anger about something, whether it's abortion, whether it's about um, uh, someone who is being taken advantage of, whatever it is that might anger you, then you should do what you can do. Take the anger that you have that is a righteous anger and let it motivate you to do what you can do. How can you be part of the solution? Now, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to know what can I do, but to do your part and do what you can do. You, you may feel like what you're doing doesn't, doesn't accomplish very much, but if the entire church were to operate this way where we would see something and have a righteous anger over it and we would move to do what is right, there would be significant problems that would be solved because we did it. When Jesus flipped those tables over, he was dealing with the issue. Righteous anger deals with the issue. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's tough. And if you have the authority to be able to flip over a table, then it might mean flipping over a table. It doesn't mean looting a store and stealing someone else's stuff. It doesn't mean throwing bricks at, at innocent police officers. It doesn't mean taking even, even vengeful action in your hands towards someone who's not innocent, right? Even if, if there were guilty police officers they were throwing them at, that, that kind of vengeance we leave up to the law. We always do or we always should. That's not what it means. It means that we take that righteous at wrath and we say, Lord, what can I do about abortion? Lord, what can I do about the poor that I feel like are just being swept aside? What can I do about racism in America? How can I play a part on making a difference in what's taking place here? That's how you handle righteous anger. And then the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So you've got to let it go. You've got to forgive. And quite frankly, there needs to be some forgiveness in our nation as well. Sometimes we're too easily provoked and we need to forgive. And I'm talking about all directions too. It's really easy to look at the other side and go, yeah, they need to forgive. But on whatever side you may, that you may align yourself with more, there needs to be forgiveness on your side and there needs to be forgiveness on the other side. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. To not get, to not get so riled up that we enter into one of these other, uh, these other kind of anger but to have that righteous anger. And may God use us when we become angry in a righteous way, may God use us to make a difference. For a while anyway, they no longer took advantage of people in the temple through money changers. They no longer sold those sheep and those doves at exorbitant rates because Jesus had taken care of it for a while because of the authority that he had. And I believe that you can make a difference as well. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we look at this taking place and we see how Jesus responded to something that was unfair, something that was people being taken advantage of and even the poor and people who really want to worship and serve you were being taken advantage of. Lord, we pray that we would handle things properly. 
We pray that in the United States, we as the church could be an example to exactly what we are supposed to do when we become angry in a righteous way. And Lord, may we not let the sun go down on our anger. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.